Anybody ever wish you were a kid again? Anybody? I wish I sometimes I do. Gosh, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I wish I was a kid again. I I, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, when you're a kid, if you if you don't know something, you don't mind asking. You know, kids ask what what's the question kids always ask why they don't know and so they want to know why 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 you know why when you're a kid you can get away with that right you're not supposed to know everything you you can ask those questions you don't know something you go find somebody who does know about that you know when you're a kid and you can't do something whatever it may be if you can't pick something up that's a little too heavy for you just not physically capable of doing a particular thing whatever it may be what do you do you go find somebody who can and there's no shame in it, right? You just go and you say, hey, I can't do this. Please help me. I need help. Or, or if maybe you get scared of something, scared of the dark, scared of whatever. You know, you go and find someone who's not scared of that, who's not worried about whatever it is that's concerning you, and you get them to be with you. When you're a kid, you can do all that. And then something happens when we grow up. I don't think that we grow up and we know more. We just stop asking because we feel stupid now that we don't know something. At least maybe that's just me. So I stop asking. Or, you know, we, we can't do something and, and we feel like we should be able to do those things. So we stop asking for help. Or, or maybe we, we, we feel like when we grow up we have to act like we're afraid of nothing. And so we never admit those things that scare us, that make us nervous, that worry us. Something happens. And I think that's why sometimes I just, I wish I were a kid that I could lean on someone else's power in my life. That I wouldn't have to feel like I've got to do it all by myself all the time. Because if you're honest, I would say many, if not most, and maybe even all of the grown-ups here today are probably operating in our own power. We're doing life our way in a lot of ways. We're, we're trying to make it on our own strength in our own knowledge, and in our own courage. And it ain't working, is it? It ain't working. We're worn out. We're trying to live in our own power, which is not the way that we were designed to live. I think we need a reminder, at least I know I do, of the power that is available to us, the power of God, to live through our lives in such a way that we don't have to know everything and be able to do everything and be scared of nothing. But God can overwhelm us with his power and help us to live in it. Uh, the Israelites learned this in the Old Testament way back at the Exodus. If you got your Bible handy, go ahead and turn there. If you got your Bible app, however you're going to get to the Scripture today, would highly encourage you to get there. We're going to be in three different chapters this morning. I'm covering three chapters on one Sunday morning. Uh, and so because there's no, nobody's team is still in the tournament, y'all do know Kentucky lost, right? Okay. They only won two more games in the tournament than Louisville did. Okay, that was it. That's all they won was two more games than Louisville did. Anyway. But because of all that, we're going to be here till about 3 o'clock today going over these three chapters. Exodus 13. What we're going to learn today is how God's people learned about God's power. And what God's power was enough to do. Three different episodes. Chapter 13 of Exodus tells us, and I'm, just so you know how this is going to go, I'm going to give you the, 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 the overview. Here's what God's power is enough to do. Then we're going to look at the chapter, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get the blank beside it. If you're filling those things in, you'll get one and then the other. The first one 
is that God's power is enough to save you. That's the summary of chapter 13. It's enough to save you. Now, where we're picking up the story, if you if you if you maybe just joining us or you're not familiar with the book of Exodus or anything, kind of recap real quick. We've already gotten to the point in the story where Moses has been sent by God to go and get the Israelite people out of slavery. They were enslaved by Egypt for over 400 years, and Moses goes on behalf of God to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, that's cool, man. Y'all go right ahead. We ain't using you anyway. It's no big deal. In fact, what does he do? He laughs him out of the room. And he says, there ain't no way that's ever happening. The Egyptian economy was built on the backs of these Hebrew slaves. Pharaoh, over his dead body, will let them go. And so what does God do? God sends Moses back over and over and over again to bring 10 different plagues on the land of Egypt. And finally, the last plague, the death of all the firstborn in all of Egypt, anyone whose doorpost was not covered by the blood of the lamb would stand under the wrath of God. Don't miss the New Testament preview. Would stand under the wrath of God and their firstborn would be killed. And so on that night of the Passover, when the the pastor, the angel of death would come and see the blood post, he would pass over those homes that were covered by that. They would not be under the wrath of God, but everybody else was. And so on that night, Pharaoh loses all the firstborn of his household and his family and all the land of Egypt. And finally, he tells Moses, just go. Take everybody with you and go. And he's devastated. So they are, in chapter 13, on their way to where God is taking them. They had been saved from slavery, and they are being saved to new life in the promised land. And all of this, of course, is a great preview of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We have been saved from our sins, saved from the wrath of God, and saved to new life in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we are celebrating when we look at salvation. Also, just as that blood of the doorpost, of, co- of course, covered the Israelites, the blood of Jesus covers us. And that is what we celebrate, of course, this Easter season. So when we read the words of Moses to the Israelites in Exodus 13 about the power of God, be reminded of the, of the ultimate power of God, and that is seen in Jesus and the power of the cross and the resurrection. But look at chapter 13, all right? Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, Consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn of every womb among the Israelites, both man and domestic animal, it is mine. God says everything's mine. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. He tells them, remember, forever, remember. It's not just now, remember, it's forever. Remember the power of God that saved you out of where you were, out of slavery and to where he is taking you. Then verse four, today... In the month of Abib, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers that he would give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you must carry out this ritual. And he goes on to talk about the different rituals by which they were to remember and honor the salvation, the saving power of the Lord. And he says, it's the Lord who brought you out and the Lord who is bringing you in. Salvation, Moses says, belongs to our God. Moses didn't tell the Israelites, hey, do you remember what you guys did to get yourselves out of slavery? Do you remember how great it was when you, when you orchestrated this? What does he say? The Lord brought you out. We cannot save ourselves. The Israelites could not save themselves, deliver themselves from slavery. We can't save ourselves from our own sin. And he goes on and he talks about carry out this ritual. Explain these things to your children. Talk about what the Lord has done for you. 
And then look at verse 14. Skip down just a little bit. He talks about the rituals. In the future, when your son, your children ask you, what does this mean? Why do we do this? These religious things that we do, what's the point? Say to him, say to your children, by the strength of his hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. By the strength of his hand. Let me give you a little conversation that you can have with the young people in your lives. If they ever say to you, why are we going to church? Why do we do these things? You know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, whomever you might be, teacher. Why, why do you do, why do you live that way? Why do you do these things? When your children say to you, what does this mean? Say to them. Answer the question. It is because of what God has done in my life that I do these things. It's not so that I will get God to do something in my life. It's because God has already done something in my life. And this is why I live for Him. He has saved me from certain death and certain wrath. And I've been saved from that and saved to new life in Him. And then verse 15, When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of man to the firstborn of livestock. That is why I sacrificed to the Lord. Pharaoh thought he was something. He set himself up as a God. Powerful. The most powerful person that they knew at that time, and yet he was no match for God. doesn't matter what you face in your life. It is no match for the power of God. Verse 16, Let it be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead. For the Lord brought us out of Egypt by the strength of his hand. Moses is telling them, Let your lives be saturated with evidence of God's salvation. In, what, in how you live, and what people see about you, everything about you, let it be about the salvation of the Lord. Don't we compartmentalize though? You know, on Sundays, a lot of times, you, you ever do this? On Sundays is my God day. And then, and then the rest of the week, I just got to get through it. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know about God the rest of the week. I mean, I try to sort of make God first, whatever that may mean in my life and whatever. Man, don't we compartmentalize? Isn't it easy sometimes to forget about the Lord when you're out in the world doing your thing and going to work and taking care of your kids and your grandkids and doing all the crazy stuff that you have to do during the week, whatever it may be? And, oh, boy, I'm glad Sunday's coming because I get to think about God again. Moses says, let it always be evident. Let it saturate your life, what God has done for you. He goes on to talk about some other instructions from 17, verse 17 to the end of chapter 13. But chapter 13 is all about the power of God to save. They are to remember it. They are to honor it. They are to celebrate it. They are to talk about it. Ultimately, because God is so powerful to save, they were to learn, and this is where the little thing in parentheses will come off to the side. It's actually at the bottom of your page. They were to learn, they were to, learn to trust. Because God can save you, because God has done all these things, trust Him. Trust Him in the future. Trust Him completely. Trust in who He is and what He has done. If God has the power to save, then He is worthy of our trust. Then we move to chapter 14. And we see that God's power is enough, not only just to save us, that would be enough, but not only that, but God goes further, He also has the power to see us through every single crisis that we face. In verses 1 and 2, God tells Moses to have the people turn back around and camp at a different place. And then he says, Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, verse 3, they are wandering around the land in confusion. It's going to look like they don't know where they're going. 
And so Pharaoh will say the wilderness has boxed them in. Do you know who gave them the instruction to do that? It's God himself. God led them to the place. Led them to the place where they would, would, he would put them, intentionally put them, where they would be pursued by an enemy. You realize that not every trial that we have is something that we should avoid and cast out and pray out and get away from. That sometimes it is God himself who leads us right through that time. Right into where we feel boxed in. You say, wait a minute, I thought God was loving. Absolutely He is. I I thought God was good. Absolutely He is. And because God is loving and because God is good, He wants us to trust in the only one who is perfectly loving and perfectly good, and that is He Himself. And if He does not lead us through times where we have to be boxed in a little bit, guess what? We'll trust ourselves and not Him. God led the Israelites to where the Egyptians would pursue them. Don't miss that part. And he does so, look at verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then what? I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. He was leading them to a place where they would have to trust in him so that God would get glory when he delivered them from that crisis. By means of Pharaoh, by means of the one who had kept him enslaved, God would show himself to be powerful. And then verse 9, skip down just a little bit. Verse 9, the Egyptians, and here's who they were, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them. Do you realize that the Israelites were brick-making slaves, not warriors? And so as a result of this terrifying army coming after them, they were scared to death. Imagine how they felt. Way more than they can handle. I will reiterate just for those who maybe need to hear it once more or maybe for the first time. It is false. It is unbiblical. It is not true. It is not in the Bible anywhere where God says he will never give you more than you can handle. That is a misinterpretation, in fact, a misreading of a scripture that says no temptation has overtaken you that you cannot stand up under. But God will intentionally, I guarantee this because I've experienced it and I've read in his word, God will, will absolutely take you to the place where it's more than you can handle. He absolutely will. Hear that. Not because I'm trying to give you bad news today. Because the good news is what? So that we will learn to trust him. He absolutely does. There are things that you're facing right now, a crisis, you don't know what to do about. How do you solve that? Financially, relationally, whatever it may be. You don't know what to do. Well, it's, you know, God said he'd never give us more than we can handle, so I guess we can handle this. As if you can handle it, right? I can't handle that stuff. Can you? I'm not strong enough for that. I don't have that kind of power. There are some things that will flat knock you down. God was getting them to the point where it was more than they could handle. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Here they see the dust storm. Here it comes, all the chariots and all the horses. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. Now, now in, in this, crying out to the Lord for help, you might think initially, well, they're doing exactly what they should be doing. But what we're going to see is this fear ultimately is sinful because it would lead them away from faith in the Lord. Look at verse 11. They said to Moses, and this is amazing, just, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us out here to die in the wilderness? So apparently Moses, the cemetery wasn't big, wasn't big enough anyway, 
in Egypt. There are not enough places to bury it, so just bring us out here so we'll die out here. What have you done to... Look at this. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Verse 12. Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They had just seen the power of God in ten plagues. And and Pharaoh's heart turned to say, get out of here. And yet they get out in the wilderness and I'm not sure that the power of God which was able to save me can see me through this crisis. And before we think too highly of ourselves, we are just like them. We are just like them. Well, I know that God can save my soul. I know I'm saved for all eternity from the wrath of God. I know that, that Jesus died to set me free from my sin so that I would be saved from God's wrath. But I'm not sure he can help me financially in this situation. You know, I don't know if he can restore this relationship that's been broken. I don't know if he can heal my broken heart. I don't know if God is powerful enough to do that. Because the army pursues me. I feel boxed in. I'm in a crisis. I don't know. I'll trust God with my salvation for all eternity, but I'm not sure I can trust him with this. You put it in those terms, we kind of look stupid, don't we? That's what the Egyptians were doing to the Israelites, making them turn their back on the Lord, making them want slavery again. Look at verse 13. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stop. Stop being afraid. Fear God, yes, but that's it. Fear is so powerful, isn't it? Stop being afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. Stand firm. Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 6. When he's talking about spiritual warfare and the attacks that we face spiritually and the doubts and the anxieties and all the things that come against us. He said, when you've taken up everything, all the armor of God, then stand firm. Be unmovable. Stand right there and don't give any ground. See the Lord's salvation just as before. Another act of salvation. He can save your soul and he can also save you from this crisis. The Lord will fight for you. Just be quiet. Literally, that means be speechless. Which, of course, you can imagine they would have been when they began to cross the Red Sea. (laughs) Speechless. Amazing. Verse 16. God tells Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. We read that sort of casually. No big deal. It's just a Bible story we knew when we were kids. Moses parted the Red Sea. You know, we have far side little cartoons about it. You've seen those where Moses is sitting in the pool as a child and there's water on either side and he's sitting there in the middle on dry ground and... You know, we, 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 we look at this so casually. God says, stretch out your hand over this sea, this huge body of water here, and you will walk through the middle of it on dry ground. The one who wanted God to send somebody else to do all of this was the one through whom God was going to work yet again. Moses. Verse 17, I am going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians. So that they will go in after them and what, here's this thing again, and what I will what, receive glory by means of Pharaoh, his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Our trials, by the way, are not meant to display our own strength, but God's. 
And every time that you and I try to go through a difficult time, a trial of whatever kind, in our own strength, it will be so limited and we will fail and we will be there probably longer than we needed to be in the first place because we have chosen to trust in our own strength and not to lean on that of the Lord. It is the Lord who will receive glory. The Lord who will harden the hearts of those Egyptians. The Lord who will part the waters. The Lord who will see them through. Verse 19, the angel of the Lord who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved in front of them and stood behind them. That's how God works. You realize that? In front and behind all the time. We are saved from what is behind us and saved to what is in front of us. God's power is enough to see us through every crisis. Then verse 21, the Lord drove the sea back. And then verse 24, the Lord looked down and threw them into confusion. Verse 25, he caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. And then look what the Egyptians say. Let's get away from Israel, verse 25, because Yahweh, the Lord, is fighting for them against Egypt. It is the Lord who saw them through. It is God himself who gave them the power to get through that crisis. The battle was won by the Lord. And his power, not that of Moses. And then if you skip down just a little bit, look at verse 30. We wrap up this particular chapter. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians. And Israel, look at these verbs. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. They saw, they believed. And as a result, what they were to do was to, next time in the middle of the crisis, was to obey. I really believe that where we get in the middle of a crisis is we get so burdened by our fear that we stop doing what God has already told us to do. To cast all of our cares on Him, in First Peter says, cast all of our cares on Him because He cares for us. To in, in nothing be anxious, but in everything pray in Philippians chapter 4. We stop being obedient. The next crisis that you face, let me encourage you to walk in obedience. Not in fear, you may still be scared, but walk in obedience. What has God said to do? What has He already told me I should do? Moses was told, stretch out your hand, I'll part the waters. Walk in obedience. Thirdly, the power of God is enough to secure your future. If you look in chapter 16, flip over and skip chapter 15 there. Chapter 15 is a song. People are celebrating. Look at what God has done. It's amazing. We've been delivered. We've walked through the, the, the sea on, on dry land. And, and, and Pharaoh's horses have been swallowed up. And man, it's exciting. And they have this big worship revival service. And everybody gets saved all at once. You know, it's like the Mississippi Squirrel Revival. They all got rebaptized, whether they needed it or not. Right then, by the Red Sea, there they go. And, and man, they're excited. And then, chapter 16. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. And then verse 2. They'd just been singing, revival service, breaking out, God's so great, we love God, He's our man, whatever. Verse 2. The Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Bunch of Southern Baptists, man, I'm telling you, that's what they were. Grumbling, complaining. Y'all know them, don't you? None of them here. But y'all know what I'm talking about. Man. 
They celebrate God's power. And then they're not sure, can God help us in the future? Well, we don't know. I mean, God, he's already sent these plagues and we're out of Egypt and any part of the Red Sea. And I don't know if he can really take care of our needs now. By the way, this wilderness was the place that they had no idea that's where they would die. Because they refused to trust and obey the Lord. And that's where they would die. Anyway, they grumble. They say in verse 3, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand, here they go again, in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. They were slaves for crying out loud. We had everything. We had, you know, it was great. It was incredible. We loved it there. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Is this not how we live? Folks, I don't know if y'all understand this, but this is us. Now, we walk away, boy, I'm so excited about what God's doing in my life until Monday morning. And there's that person again. You know, I don't know what to do. Until oh, we got financial worries again. I don't know if God can help us. I don't know if he can come through. How quickly do we forget who he is and what he's done? Anyway, then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. I love that part. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. When Jesus gave the Lord's prayer, do you know what he said about praying for God's provision? Give us what? This day our daily bread comes back to this. Every day they were to go out and God would provide for that day what they needed. No more, no less. That day what they needed. God got them to a place of desperation where they did not see how something was going to happen, where God was going to come through, and yet he says, every day I will provide for you. And God's provision, I think, is like that. We don't realize how much it rains down on us. How blessed we truly are. We see such, such scarcity. Oh, we don't have enough. Do you realize we see that only because of the country that we live in? Not because of the God that we serve? We only see scarcity because we are in competition and we don't have enough according to what we compare ourselves to. But according to God, He is raining down provision on us. And that's how we're tested. Will we follow Him? Will we trust Him? Verse 6, Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, This evening you will know that it was the Lord. You will again see the power of God. And this time it will be enough to secure your future. Now skip down just a little bit. Verse 12, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. So tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface. As, don't miss it. It's desert surface. Don't miss that. As fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? <laughs> Imagine that morning. God has said something sort of obscure about you're going to get some food. And they wake up and the ground, the desert is covered in something. And they say, what is it? Isn't that the way God's provision is? It's sort of surprising. Um, okay. Because they didn't know what it was. And then Moses told them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And then he says in verse 16, gather as much of it as each person needs. You may take two quarts per individual according to the number of people and so on and so forth. The Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some gathered a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who had gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who had gathered a little had no shortage. 
Each gathered as much as he needed. No shortage. God's provision is sufficient. Moses said to them, No one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they didn't listen. (laughs) They didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and smelled. Try to take care of yourself, God says, and you'll see it ain't going to last. Therefore, Moses was angry with them. I think I probably would have been by this point, too. Really? Really? Come on, guys. Plagues, Red Sea, bread from heaven. You know, at this point, you might want to think God's going to take care of you. What God goes on to tell them is that you can gather this for six days. But on the sixth day, you gather twice as much because on the seventh day, there ain't going to be any there. Because you're going to rest and you're going to trust in me and I will take care of you. And guess what? They, some of them gathered twice as much. You know what? They had enough for the seventh day. Some of them didn't and they go out on the seventh day and guess what ain't there? The food. God is true to his word, by the way, as a side note. What God said was going to happen, happened. And the people refused to believe. They were to take a rest. Because God can secure your future, let me encourage you to rest in Him. To rest. God said you're going to take a Sabbath. Some of us are wearing ourselves out trying to be God in our lives. And we are truly worn out. God says, I can secure your future. I can take care of your needs both today and tomorrow and the next day. Trust me every single day and rest in me. And if you look all the way down in verse 35 of chapter 16, the Israelites ate manna. That's what they called this this flaky stuff on the ground. They ate manna for 40 years until they came into an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Canaan. Every single day for 40 years, they woke up and God had taken care of them. James chapter 4 tells us that we're not to worry about the future. Matthew chapter 6 or 5 rather tells us that we're not to worry about what we eat or what we drink, but simply to seek God and trust in Him. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years. Some of you have that kind of testimony. That you know what? I've trusted God my entire life and every day God has been faithful. And some don't have that testimony because we've not yet begun the process of every day simply turning it over to the Lord and saying, God, today I trust you. God's power is enough to save you. And trust me, we need saving from the wrath of God. God's power is enough to save us from his wrath and to new life in him. So trust him. God's power is enough to see you through every single crisis. So obey when you don't know what else to do. And God's power is enough to secure your future, so rest in Him. Here's the deal. This week, probably even leaving here, but this week you and I are going to walk out of here and we're going to trust in something or someone for our salvation. We're going to walk out of here and we're going to trust and we're going to obey something or someone to see us through the next crisis that we face. And we're going to walk out of here and we're going to rest in something or someone to secure our futures. My question is, will it be enough? If who you are trusting in, what you are trusting in, is not wrapped up in Jesus Christ, it will never be enough. Trust Him. Obey. Rest in Him. As we look toward this Easter, 
we see the power of God displayed on the cross, displayed in the empty tomb, and we say, you know what? God is enough. I will trust Him. I will obey and I will rest in Him. Let's pray together.